You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Looking for the end zone. We'll get there. Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hola, Grump. How's it going? We only have 59 more school shopping days until the Giants opening day against Jacksonville. So I think it's actually 56. Is it 56? Yeah, I saw a bunch of pictures of Lawrence Taylor. That doesn't make any sense because that'd be eight weeks from today and today's Monday. I, I don't know. That's all I think. <laughs> Whatever. Well, it, it's coming soon. It's, it's under triple digits. So everybody just, uh, you know. Hang on for dear life. We're we're getting near football season. Yeah, uh, training camp technically starts this week with rookies and quarterbacks, apparently, allegedly, but it really gets underway next week. So there you have it. The off season officially ends this week and becomes the preseason. So, I mean, oh, God. how how great is that? I mean, it's so great that the longer the biggest stories are, who gets arrested, who's going to hold out, you know, what off-season nonsense with kneeling versus standing, all that bullshit that finally takes a back page to getting ready for the season. We start looking at how do rookies look, our analysis of the different teams, our Giants competition, uh, inner look at our own team, league-wide battles for roster spots, position battles, and then before you know it, we'll actually be playing some preseason games where we'll get excited about for three series and then stop watching because we get bored silly but we are getting closer it is uh you know we're past that hump and now we're getting into overdrive now yeah we're only uh um i don't know maybe two weeks away from the first episode of hard knocks maybe three weeks away yeah who is it cleveland this year yeah yeah figures I, I, i thought that was pretty interesting so um i'm not exactly sure the criteria and the team they choose for hard knocks but i know they have to be a team that did not make the playoffs. Yeah, I think what happens is I think ownership and management actively want to be on it. You think so? Yes, absolutely. I think for some of the, you look at the markets that they're in. You know, yeah. they're in medium-sized to smaller-sized markets where they definitely use that as a marketing tool. You know, they they play up. You know battles with these rookies and things because you know these smaller markets like the jacksonvilles of the world and even the tampa bays they're trying to sell preseason tickets i mean it's not like something where you're for like they don't have that season ticket base like the giants do where you know the entire stadium is sold out and we're forced to buy preseason game tickets you know you have large swaths of these stadiums are individual game and you know you can develop a storyline of this rookie or Baker Mayfield or Jameis Winston or something. That's just building buzz, and they're using that in their local markets to promote selling tickets, regular season and even preseason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and you look at the the track record of teams. I mean, you know, the L.A. Rams moving to a new market, Cleveland, Tampa Bay, the Jets. Um, it is interesting, though, because from the HBO perspective, they're going to want the bigger market teams so that they can get more ratings. So, you know, I'm sure there's a collaboration. Like you said, there's teams that want to get on it, management that wants to get on it. And I, I, I think that there's also a push from HBO to try and get certain teams. And 
honestly, the Giants probably would have been a good pick for HBO this year. You know, a team that was, you know, 11-5, and went to the playoffs under a young head coach, and then last year was just utter disaster. Head coach fired. All new coaching staff brought in this year. Um, There's a really clean slate rookie coming in at Saquon. Barkley is definitely a guy they would love to cover. Um, I have a feeling that there was a very strong pushback from Mara if HBO were to have approached them. Yeah, I mean, that's not the quote-unquote giant way. I mean, I think, you know, that seems a little hacky, having, you know, cameras following you around, people maybe not acting as themselves, they want extra FaceTime and things, and working on their own personal brands. I mean, Bear has said, you know, as long as he's owner, they will never have, they will never host a home Thanksgiving game like that third night game that's on CBS now or NBC or whatever. Um, He has said he never wants to be on hard knocks. He doesn't want to do anything to cheapen the brand that is the Giants. And, you know, I think also from a, um, you know, a paranoid perspective, I don't think, you know, you never see a team like the the Patriots on there because they just, what are the cameras going to see? You know, there might be something that the naked eye may not be noticing with a camera, but all of a sudden, Hey, why are they using that guy in that formation or something? And you know, they oh, like yeah, the close yeah. ranks. That was that was a, definitely a story. JJ Watt had said that he picked up the snap count for the Dolphins or something by watching Hard Knocks. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's one of those shows where it, it, when we get to August, we're so thirsty for football, we'll watch anything. And even if it's a team that we previously had no interest in, like a. You know, what some of the crappy teams have been on in the past, we just had no interest in. Like the, the Jacksonville team of like eight or nine years ago or, or the Texans or something. Um, this The Cleveland team's a little interesting. You know, Baker Mayfield, yeah. a lot of people didn't think he was a number one overall pick, and he kind of comes off as kind of a dick. So it would be interesting to see, you know, because I'm sure he'll be a main storyline following him, how he interacts with his new teammates, how they respond to him, how the coaches respond to him, how he inter- responds to his first camp. So yeah, and HBO knows they got me, so I'll be watching. Yep. I mean, I, I, I personally, I enjoy watching it. On the other hand, I never want to see the giants on there. Just never. Personal opinion. Yeah. Never. Um, however, the giants were in the news nationally, uh, as there was an article written with an interview, uh, a future ring of honor inductee, Ben McAdoo. <laughs> On, uh, I guess, I guess it was just past reflections on his last year, or I guess his time coaching with the Giants. It was the Ray Hanley minute with Ben McAdoo. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't really care. I don't think anything of substance really came out of that. Um, there were some things that I thought were interesting. I liked his analysis. Uh, one of the things he said is he thought the Giants made the right move sticking with Eli Manning this year, not drafting any of the quarterbacks because he wasn't wowed by any of them. And he went through some detailed reasons why, and it sounded familiar to me because it was exactly what I had said. Congratulations. You have the same mindset as Ben McAdoo. Well, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I'll be looking for a new co-host next week. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I I have coaching credentials now. Uh, Yeah, I thought that was the only real interesting thing, nugget I took from him of something that would be constructive is kind of looking ahead to after he was no longer the coach or involved in any player personnel decisions with the Giants. I thought a lot of the things he said, quite frankly, you know, one of two things. I felt like he, 
he threw Jerry Reese under the bus quite a bit. Absolutely. The guy who who took a chance on him as a head coach where Jerry Reese's job, he definitely was in the hot seat himself. And, you know, at the time I thought, and it's been validated by his, you know, poor performance, where it was kind of a panic hire. He was afraid that the Eagles were going to hire him as their head coach. So he, my opinion, just said, you're the head coach going forward. You just don't want to lose him. Again, what did we actually lose? But I I really thought a lot of his takes on it were kind of throwing Reese under the bus. And some of the things, like he was talking about Eric Flowers saying, you know, he can't move, he can't do this, moving to the right side, what's the point? It's like, if you felt that strongly about him and he was a shitty left tackle, why didn't you do something when you were the head coach? You know, bench him. Make a strong push to Jerry Reese to – you know, bring someone else in to give, you know, real competition for him. I mean, to bitch and moan about players now at no longer the team and you haven't made any moves while you were the coach just seems insincere and seems like whining. And the, the guy, let's face it, the guy was a dick from day one. I remember the first time, you know, he did a Monday show or, or Tuesday show with um, Mike Francesa. Like, they're obligated to do these shows. And the guy was just a creep. Little as information as possible came off as, you know, very arrogant in his answers. And it was just like, you know, who the hell are you? I mean, Bill Belichick has won five Super Bowls, whatever he's won. He's kind of earned the right to be however he wants to be in interviews. You're a no-name prick. And, you know, this just kind of come off an extension of what that was. A little more, not as guarded because he's obviously not hiding anything because he's not coaching, but really just came off as a guy that I'm glad is no longer part of this organization going forward. Yeah, I think really what it felt like to me was passing the buck off. It wasn't like there was a very much this attitude of not just throwing Jerry Reese under the bus, but just saying things like there was a lot of the moves I wanted to make, almost as if if we had listened to me from the beginning, this team would have been winning the division, which is essentially what he thinks is going to happen, what he says he thinks is going to happen. It's connecting the dots. It's saying... If we had listened to me, we'd we'd be winning the division, which is yeah. So we went we went from a team that base ended up three and thirteen, and you know we can say all we can about the injuries, but a lot of it was in hindsight the shitty coaching, the vanilla offense schemes we saw, and just you know seemed like they were like player revolts, kind of you know the whole thing with Eli getting benched and stuff. And this is a guy that thought all of a sudden if he was still there, he can turn around and win the division. I mean, is he that stupid to think he's indicting himself as the main cause for all this? I don't know, but it just seemed like a very odd interview to give. Yeah. I don't know what his uh, – if he's trying to rehabilitate his image around the league with league insiders or I don't know what he was trying to do. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure. Um, I will say, though, uh, Jordan Raynon did say it best, though. He he didn't really care what any of us thought coming in. He still doesn't care what we think of him either. So I guess more power to him. I well, know. like I said, he's going to be in the dustbin of history with Ray Hanley and, you know, all the uh, the horrible coaches the Giants had throughout the years who would just be punchlines to jokes and, you know, and that's that. So the, the nice thing is we have definitely moved on and we've, you know, a 180-degree change in direction of how we're approaching the draft and free agency and the supplemental draft is, you know, as I work on my, my, uh, segues grump. Well done. 
Yeah. The XFL will need a new coach in quite a while. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, so supplemental draft. This is really interesting because this falls under my uh, area of expertise, but it's a bit ahead of my advanced research. But the Giants selected cornerback Sam Beal out of uh, Western Michigan, I think, right? Western Michigan, yes. Yeah. Um, this was um, you know, an interesting move. It's not every year that a supplemental draft pick is picked. Um, it's been quite a while since the Giants selected one. I believe the last one was just Dave Brown, right? We took Tito Wooten in the fourth round. Interesting. A 94, huh? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's certainly, it's certainly not every year. And a lot of the times these, these players are, I mean, almost every time they're high risk, high reward. And it's sort of how the draft goes in any case. But, you know, these guys are usually academic issues, et cetera. Um, I believe, and I'm, I'm not an expert on this, so this could be incorrect, but I believe... Sam Beal's issue was he wanted to return to school for his senior year, found out late that he did not have enough credits to graduate next year, and so instead decided to come out this year, which for him probably was a smart decision. And this is why it was a smart decision for the Giants too. Next year has one of the best classes of defensive linemen I've ever seen. I mean, all three of those guys from Clemson are – I honestly can't wait to cover that next year, but – the cornerback class is filled with no true number one corner. You know, a lot of these guys are in the overall scheme of talent, fringe first round picks, more like second round picks. It's, it's And, you know, when that happens, that value gets bumped up. So now you have guys who aren't quite first round talent going in the first round. So the Giants spent a third round supplemental pick on a guy who might have went in the first round next year. Easy win. Mm-hmm. Easy win on a, a team with no cornerback depth whatsoever. Um, absolutely smart move. Sam Beal, on the other hand, gets what he wants. He gets to leave early um, and hop right into it. He's going to be a bit behind the curve joining the team, having missed OTAs and everything, and he's he's not exactly coming out of, you know, Michigan here. Um, so They did play Florida uh, last year. I think they also played USC. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, he, he's not a scrub. He's not a scrub, but... You know, there's quite a difference when you're when you're on, say, Ohio State or Florida or Alabama, and you you are playing very elite competition in the, in college ranks week after week versus you know the one or two games per year. Um, right, and what you're doing also is you're basically locking in your third round pick because we don't know, quite frankly, you know, we don't know what the Giants' record will be at the end of this year. I mean, they sure. may, they may be. They could be three and thirteen again. They could be thirteen and three. They could be somewhere in the middle. So that third round pick could be somewhere like the number, you know, ninety fifth pick, or could be the one twenty pick. You don't know. So what you're kind of doing is you're getting a little, you know, guarantee co- cost certainty of where that pick would actually fall. And uh, you know, if if they see a guy that they like and they targeted, and the situation allowed it to be available after the the regular draft, I. You know, they were smart. They didn't, you know, pounce on him in the first round or second round, but they knew that the guy had some value, and then they jumped on it. So that that's fine. I mean, and even if they don't even you – know, if they practice squad him or something this year or just very limited on the field, that's fine. It's You're getting a year in advance for him to be, you know, in the system and learning, you know, to play the giant defense way that, you know, this coaching staff wants. Absolutely, and, and the player they're getting, by the way, is a you know he's got four four straight line speed. Uh, he's very physical, uh, and he's six one. I think my my biggest gripe with him, physically speaking, is that he's a little bit light, especially down low. 
you know, like thin legs doesn't really does he's not built with say quads, we'll say it that way. <laughs> um, Who is in this world? Yeah, really. Uh so he's definitely gonna be a guy next year will will physically look a lot different than he does this year. Mm-hmm. Um and that'll help him a lot. Well again, if you're coming from western Michigan, you're not gonna have the physical programs at a power five school is, and they don't have the resources. They don't have the top tier coaching, you know, not, not only from just a position and, and team standpoint from strength and conditioning also yeah. better nutritional programs that these schools don't have. So you get them into uh, you know, you'll see a tremendous leap in, in, in size and speed and strength. And you get them into a, uh, an NFL program. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I do not foresee him jumping into the starting lineup at any point this year, unless, of course, there's like, you know, some rash of injuries or something like that. I, I will s- say that I expect to see him probably on special teams at some point this year and in a rotational role, coming in perhaps as a nickel or dime corner, depending mm-hmm. on how things shake out for him. That's the extent of what I really expect out of him this year. Yeah, I, that seems reasonable too. I mean, I think our in a perfect universe. The corners are set with uh, with the two guys we have. I, you know, again, we don't know with injuries and we don't know with attitudes. You know, if uh, Janoris Jenkins and Eli Apple will be starting in week sixteen or seventeen, but you know, we need to build depth at this position because it is paper thin right now. And even having someone like him is better than some guy we can get off the streets. So, oh yeah, yes. Um, you know, and, and, and going right into that, we can talk a little bit about the defense and what we expect. We sort of did this last week with the offense. What do you think is going to be like some of the main differences we'll see between the Spags defense and the James Betcher defense? Well, I mean, that's my big question is how is Betcher going to provide for a pass rush? I mean, that's what he's going to have to be. He's going to have to be more creative to get a pass rush because we've, you know, basically lost our best pass rusher. And the second best one is kind of turning into a hybrid position. So that's going to be my big question. You know, how are we going to generate a consistent pass rush on this team? Because without a consistent pass rush, you know, I got some some concerns in, in, in the backside of the defense. Oh yeah, yeah. And from what I've noticed, you know, I I do the best I can, but I'm not a, an analyst or anything like that. But you know, what I see a lot of in the 2017 Cardinals is a lot of twists up front. Uh, he likes to generate pressure up the middle with linebackers. He also likes to, you know, as you said, Olivier Vernon is now in a hybrid role. Uh, I would call it more of a featured role. Uh, it mm-hmm. is hybrid. You know, he's going to be dropping into coverage. He's also going to be, but he, he's going to be rushing a lot. And you look at what he did with Chandler Jones over there, and I, I, I don't know. This may be just my opinion, but I just don't think Chandler Jones, in general, on his own, in the bubble is that good of a player? Uh, you know, I don't think he's a premier pass rusher by any means. That being said, they certainly set it up for him to put up premier numbers, premier, premier performances in Arizona. And a lot of it has to do, if you watch it, there's a lot of twists run on the outside where you have a big, strong guy in the middle sort of shoving the guard end tackle outside and, you know, Chandler Jones will start on the outside and then cut inside into the gap that was created and rush the passer and that sort of thing. Uh, I would say it was a featured role. He was the pass rusher 
on that team, and they set things up to give him opportunities. Uh, and I, that's what I expect out of the pass rush for Olivier Vernon, and I guess just the pass rushers in general is those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll we'll see a lot of press coverage um, on the outside. A lot of work with safeties being versatile, sometimes jumping into the box, which is more the landing Collins thing. But I think Andrew Adams could probably handle that also. Uh, a lot of disguise coverages also. I think I've seen quite a bit of things that started out as single high safety, but then as soon as the play broke, you could see it was you know kind of a Tampa two. Mm-hmm. So. You know, a lot of disguises, a lot of blitzes, things like that, and uh, it's they got to do something because the defense last year was not all that impressive, and before that, even you know the Giants' defense was stout numbers-wise, but there wasn't. Is it just me? Did it seem very vanilla even that two years ago? I think a lot of the problem also was they're on the field a lot last year. You had such a you had such an impotent offense. That, you know, they're constantly on the field, constantly, constantly, and usually with shitty field position, too. So, you know, a, a lot of, you know, the problems with the uh, the defense was, you know, the situation they were put in. And then, obviously, you know, when the season got out of hand really quickly, you know, and then also you basically had, you know, the inmates running the asylum in the secondary. I think, <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, we had problems with all three cornerbacks. Right. They all got didn't they all get suspended for at least one game last year? I believe that's correct. Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely needed an attitude adjustment because whatever was going on in that that, you know, that cornerback room was not working from coach to player. So, no. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that's been all, you know, it starts with with attitude and starts with everybody being on the same page. So. Hard to evaluate a, a a defense as a whole, and you have so many outside things, factors kind of coming into that. Absolutely. Um, one of the so I, I compared some numbers last year for for the Cardinals and the Giants, and again, we know the Giants' season last year was completely off the rails, so we don't have a very clear picture of what the defense really was or really could have been. You know, it's not perfect. Uh, that said, both of these teams played with anemic, terrible offenses. Um, Blaine Gabbert played for more than one quarter last year for Arizona, which is already a disaster. Um, so, <laughs> you know, that being said, the difference in the amount of yards given up was a thousand. That should say everything right there. The, yeah. The Arizona Cardinals gave up about 5,000 yards. The Giants gave up about 6,000. Um, and it was pretty equally split, split, uh, 500 extra rushing, 500 extra passing. And, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty much just, you know, equal that way. I mean, there's a 4.9 yard average per play for Arizona, 5.7 for the Giants. Just, you know, that right there should be an improvement just based on scheme. Uh, if you look at the players... You know, if I were to start naming names, I would feel that the star power is probably a little bit better on the Giants, but it's pretty close to being equal, but in a different spot. I would say that Arizona has a better back seven. The Giants probably have a better front seven. 
So I would think that James Betcher is able to do just as much with the Giants as he was able to do with the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, what would you say is number one on the uh, the shopping list? I mean, obviously he's not going to have his personnel in all in, in day one, week one of this of this first season. I mean, what do you think he would still be looking for on the open market, whether it's as a starting – yeah, I mean, we're starter. Yeah, let's go with that. Like, well, let's say let's start this with uh, preseason cuts and work our way from preseason cuts through, you know, offseason acquisitions next year going forward. What do you think is his, his number one? You know, I think he has he, a line. He has a linebacker now that he doesn't think is lateral fast enough or something. Or what do you think is the big missing uh, cog that he needs? I I I'm torn between another. Big play safety. Um, you know, we know what we have in Landon Collins. He's not exactly a deep center fielder. He can play deep center field once in a while. You know, he's not completely incompetent back there. But he, we all know, is much better running downfield, r- running downhill, uh, and keeping things in front of him and, you know, laying the boom. There's no real, you know, and we had hoped that Darian Thompson would turn into this guy, but there's no real Earl Thomas to the Cam Chancellor back there. Mm-hmm. The gotcha. other thing I would say is pass rush. I mean, they're just there's no real pure pass rusher on this team besides what we hope Olivier Vernon is going to end up being. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really scheming him to be. Yeah, yeah, and certainly paying him to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at the teams last year, Arizona mustered up 52 sacks. The Giants had 34. That and that's has to with, be the biggest J- thing for him with JPP. Yeah, a guy we spent an ungodly sum for years in the future on, and you know that was a lack of production we had putting you know pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, and and that has to be the secret to the success. Um, I think that Arizona it may, it may not even come in the stat of sacks, but just you know quarterback pressures. The the, the pressure has to be there. It has to come from somewhere. Yeah, um, I would think that. It's one of those two things. Well, let's also, you know, I like to connect everything with the defense. Let's hope that the run block, the um, the run defense. the run defense does his job. You know, and let's get this team more into third and longs than you know. And I, I think we have the personnel to do that between snacks and you know the, the other guys we have on the, on the defensive line. That it's not. Third and two, a two-step drop, quick pass, first down. It's third and eight, third and nine, more and more often that we can, you know, pin our ears back and, and go put pressure on the quarterback. Well, yeah, see, that's that's exactly what I thought. So when you said, you know, what what's on the shopping list, I don't think that they're. I think they did a good job in the offseason securing that run defense. They got a a good smart player in Alec Ogletree to man the middle of the defense to pair mm-hmm. up with B.J. Goodson, who you hope. It makes that leap and has the guidance from Ogletree. You still have snacks in the middle. They draft a BJ Hill to be next to him, presumably. Uh, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson was one of the best defensive tackles last year. Certainly one of the best rookies. Uh, and and yeah. completely under the radar. If you look at the numbers, I would have never guessed he did that well. But and we never expected that coming out of training camp. You remember, if you go back to our shows, it, you know. This time last year, we're like, well, they may bring him in slowly, and we were concerned about the loss of the free agent and everything. And yeah, by week, you know, ten, eleven, it was like this guy's 
you know, he's legit. We always, we always seem to plug a guy in in that spot where it's just like, what are we going to do? Yeah. And then by week 11, we're like, okay, no problem. And then that person leaves to go to free agency. What are we going to do? But yeah. the nice thing now is we have under player control for another four years. And now you can draft a BJ Hill as like a rotational guy yeah. instead of having to worry about him getting, you know, worrying about competing to be a starter. It's a solid guy you can plug in there every couple of, you know, third or fourth play or something just to provide more more depth and not get these guys worn out because one of the big things we have to do is decrease the number of plays our starters are playing. Oh like, yeah. The, the ridiculous numbers that like JPP and and Vernon and Snacks are playing. This the percentage of, of plays per game is was astronomical and that has to change. And that's you know a, a function of depth. It's so bonkers too because it's just something that did not come as very spagnola I mean, you know, we all remember him, you know, with glowing eyes to the past of the 2007-2008 time. What I remember the most was the nonstop rotation of defensive linemen. They were always well-rested, and there were so many of them that he was just cycling them in. I remember seeing, you know, Dave Tollefson go in there and get sacks. Well, here's um, the thing. Here's the thing is I think that uh, as much as we can analyze a roster – you know, as much as, you know, we watch NFL Network and we have, a you know, a great list of people we follow on Twitter who follow the roster, the coaching staff knows their roster better than anybody. And if they don't trust the depth of, you know, key positions, they're just not getting on the field. And I think that might have been kind of the problem. Because I don't know what kind of trust they had in the depth on this team. Could be. I, you know, I, I really don't know. When when Steve Spagnuolo was brought back in, that's the last thing I would have expected. That's that's all I really know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember from year one, he's like, I'm not a magician. Well, yeah. And, and you know, our criticisms of, you know, our former GM, you know, that a lot of these draft picks didn't pan out, you know, later on down the trough and everything. So maybe he just, you know. He came in with a deck of cards he didn't like, and it wasn't really enhanced. Whatever the the problem was, I have to hope that that's fixed because that was the most. It was exhausting watching them play. Yeah, you could just see it. And you know, kudos to them for never complaining about it. Not one of them uh, who played ninety eight percent of snaps on defense, which is crazy. Other than that, I would say. There wasn't a whole lot of difference between numbers-wise, the 2017 Cardinals and Giants. They had relatively the same number of interceptions, gave up relatively the same amount of touchdowns, had pretty close percentage on third down. Um, Giants a little bit higher, obviously, as you'd expect. But, you know, I I think that pressure on the quarterback and stopping the run are the two things that he's... That sounds really stupid because those are the two things defense needs to do, right? But you know, yeah. maybe it really is that basic. I, you know, he said the most important things are shoring up the middle of, you know, the offense and defense. That's the key to winning games, you know, so it's, it starts there. Yeah. And that is what we're going to be looking forward to in training camp. So starting next week, we're going to go over some position battles. We'll start with the easy ones first. Um, you know, the more obvious ones. And we'll work our way through it as we kind of report things that are reported out of training camp. You know, in the beginning, it's all going to be boring. Uh, it's just a continuation of summer. Let's watch them run around their undies and see who looks good. I mean, yeah. 
<laughs> well, I mean, if if seeing Odell Beckham catch things in shorts really, you know, gets you excited for the season, then you're about to get excited. Well, uh, you know something? This year, seeing Odell Beckham run around in shorts will get me excited sure. in a very, very masculine way. But, I mean, seeing what he can do and looking for any little hitch in his getup because, you know, any lingering effects from the injury, if I see him running around – and making the plays and making his cuts and making, you know, getting past defenders, even if they're in their undies, that's a very positive sign. And that might clear up, you know, this contract situation, make it more, you know, all these things are always connected. And, you know, if we see him not looking 100% when he's trying to go 100%, that's going to be very telling, both for the short and long-term future of this team. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling, based on some of the things he's already posted on the internet, that he's not going to miss a step. Uh, I mean, I expected him to be a little bit more cautious personally, but I, I mean, he's posted some videos of him running routes at full speed that blew my mind. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. I don't get to watch the guy every day, so I'm sure it's you know, par for the course. But Well, let me ask you a question. You know, we can look back on this in a month from now or you know, a month and a half from now. Who's going to see more snaps this preseason, Eli or Beckham? I would think probably Eli. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with learning a new offense mm-hmm. and the fact that um, you want to protect a guy like Beckham a little bit. That would be my yeah. guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Eli played so little last year, and at the time I defended it last year um but you know i think these teams are starting to see how other teams treat preseason as such a lax thing you know and these guys not playing that you may want to get a little you know advantage in the first couple weeks of the season by playing your your stars a little more than we're used to seeing i mean the first month of the year is so ragged because these guys just aren't playing they're too cautious and um to your point about learning a new offense, I think you might see uh, Eli play more and, and maybe see more of the first team around him play more. But Beckham, would you be really shocked if he doesn't see one snap in preseason? I would be I would be a little bit shocked, yeah. Um, if he didn't play a single snap, I you have to think at a certain point the coaches want to see what he does, if he's going to phone it in when defenders are coming at him. Um, would I be completely annoyed? I'd be only a little annoyed. Um, see, I would, I'm not, I wouldn't at all. I, to me, I would be completely fine if he got on the field because, you know, receivers are different than quarterbacks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And now there will be a shitstorm If that happens, you know, you'll, that'll be like the number one that's going to replace. Are they going to trade Jacob Degrom? you know, mm-hmm. on the number one conversation on the fan in the month of August is when is Beckham getting on the field? Is he going to play? Is this related to his contract? Blah 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 blah, um, but I am gonna. Be, I would be perfectly fine if the first time he steps on the field is against Jacksonville. I'd I'd be okay with it. I'll say that, but I, I would be a little bit because you know, it's it's a selfish thing. I want to know that he's okay. I know the coaches know better than me. I want to see it. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that it's a logical answer. It's just how I would feel mm-hmm. um, if I were the coach. I'm not really sure what I would do. I'd be torn, and I I think I said it. Last year, when he got hurt in the preseason, that he would never play another preseason snap if I were the coach. So, 
And it just goes to show that you know I'm not I'm not sure what the right move is. All right. Well, we'll wait and see. But I, I think the moral of our story is don't get your undies in a bunch if you don't see them on the field. It's nothing. Don't read into things more than they actually are. Because I think if they err on the side of caution, so be it. Oh yeah. Um. Don't don't get carried away by the fan. Uh, the fan is as much fun as it is cancer. Holy Jesus! It's <laughs> today. If you're a Met fan, which I thank the good Lord, we're not. Today was a great day to listen to that station. <laughs> well, in any case, don't listen to the fan too much, but do follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. I try to keep things as even keel as I can, despite being a grump. Um, and the show is always on Twitter as well at Just Giants Pod, but is. Always available to be listened to on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Please give us a five-star rating and a wonderful review. You can always catch me on Twitter at the Cranky Fan, um, as well as my companion podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan, where we discuss things, all things Florida Gator football. As we are about uh, four weeks away from the start of training camp for college football, so. Double duty will be starting really soon for me. Excited. All right, everyone. (laughs) Uh, Go Giants. Go Giants. (laughs) 